part of the area that I oversee and part of my accountability at Nike is an organization that we call Diversity Talent Innovation. Mm. And the short story is what it means is when we look at the footwear industry overall, whether at the collegiate level, at the industry level, or at the leadership level, we're not seeing the representation coming out of schools to actually keep up with the demand that's necessary right. to actually be representative of our consumers. Okay. Which means from a recruiting perspective, we have to switch from this idea of more demand side recruiting, simply put, meaning a role comes available, a recruiter sources against it, and we ultimately hire a person. So more of a supply side, where we begin to look at where are great diverse talent pools featured in the marketplace, yes. and how can we then find opportunities for them within companies. This is Claim of Stories, a show about professionals working in the sportswear industry and the incredible careers they've been able to claim. Welcome to the Creative State. I'm Bima, and today's show comes from another live recording from the 2019 African American Footwear Forum in Portland, Oregon. How Jarvis Sam went from creating marketing proposals at a record label in Houston, Texas, to leading the creation of innovative sourcing and diversity recruitment programs at Nike. Jarvis started his career in the music industry, but he truly hit his stride when he shifted to focus on diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Since then, He's worked at Google in Austin, Texas, Snapchat in LA, and now the biggest sportswear brand on the planet. Early in the conversation with Jarvis, he shared a little bit about the power of persistence and leveraging it as you attempt to find a job opportunity. When he was trying to get his foot in the door at Music World Entertainment, founded by Beyonce's dad, Matthew Knowles, he didn't have any contacts there. Not willing to let that stop him, he started sending emails, making phone calls, sending Facebook and LinkedIn messages. And in 2010, he finally landed as an intern. So I also read that, <laughs> you know what I'm gonna ask you. you so you worked at uh, Music World Entertainment, which is founded by Beyonce's dad, Matthew Knowles. How, how does that happen? How do you do that? So I love Beyonce. Let's just start there. We all do. Right. I just do. And, and what it started as was her being a hometown native, having seen Destiny's Child way back when, when they were opening up for Boys to Men with little folding chairs, oh, singing no, no, no. I was inspired to understand what was really going behind the music. So what was the business and the craft that allowed for them to be so successful? And in fact, it was at that moment that I learned about the power of persistence, especially mm -hmm. when pursuing talent or exploring opportunities. Mm -hmm. I sent my resume over to Matthew and the team at the time. Did you know them at all? I did not. Okay. No. <laughs> uh, called Matthew and the team at the time, LinkedIn Matthew and the team at the time, Facebook Matthew and the team at the time. <laughs> and, you know, just really continued to try to figure out how to get an in. Right. There. So summer of 2010, was able to secure an opportunity uh, as an intern with the firm and remained on for a little over a year working okay. on their marketing side and promotions, touring and development, and then eventually into project management. Okay. And so for me, it was being able to explore an opportunity that was obviously incredibly competitive in the Houston marketplace, yeah. but being able to see what are all of the elements to help come to life to make what is truly the pervasive nature of the entertainment industry. Right. So... I guess, what did you think that you learned out of that opportunity that you might not have anticipated? Beyonce's amazing. <laughs> nah. uh, but I think the biggest thing that I learned uh, from working at Music World was the amount of collaboration and partnership that goes into something as simple as an artist production opportunity mm. or how you go about deciding which dates and which cities that tours actually happen. 
when you begin to understand the role that a label plays, mm -hmm. the role that an imprint plays, how you collaborate that together with mm -hmm. a variety of different media platforms right. and the infrastructure that's used to stand that up, there's so many different parties involved and it's the deep collaboration from those parties that results in this essence that we see of actors, actresses, yeah. athletes, and of course, musicians. Wow, wow. So you do that for a while, mm -hmm. but in 2013, you made a, a pivot yep. and you pivoted and you went and moved into Austin and you worked at Google. And is that when you began your work in diversity and inclusion? It is. So right after undergrad, actually, I spent a small tenure and uh, strategy consulting. So I was working in the oil and gas industry. Shouldn't be a surprise why so. I departed that. So <laughs> moved into the technology space. And it was my first foray into the diversity and inclusion space. And it was for a number of reasons. Mm. The way technology companies approach the conversation around diversity and inclusion is so forward thinking. Their mm. mindset around how we think about the diversification of pipelines mm -hmm. to result into talent, as well as developing effective talent management approaches to yeah. promotion, retention, engagement, and development was certainly cutting edge, especially compared mm -hmm. to other industries like consumer products, et cetera. What, what do you feel like some of the things, maybe just a few key initiatives that they were doing that you hadn't seen in your observation with other industries? Yeah, so I felt very fortunate. During my tenure at Google, I got to do a lot of work in the Austin marketplace, out in San Francisco, in the Silicon Valley, and then actually in their Brazilian office down in Sao Paulo. And for me, it was that engagement of a global understanding of the conversation mm -hmm. of diversity, so really crafting this mantra of things can be globally relevant while locally sourced. Mm -hmm. And for such a large company where you think about the idea of reflecting your consumer, Google's consumer is everybody. They are the owners of Search. They do incredible work with their Google Chrome product, work with Fiber and a variety of other products under that alphabet umbrella. And for me, it was beginning to understand not only the thought of how do we more effectively acquire diverse talent, but how do we ensure that we're building a pipeline for the future, for the future. through educational initiatives for K-12 STEM. Okay. And so what were some of the initiatives that you worked on, maybe one initiative that you worked on while you were at Google that you felt was truly impactful to that? Yeah, so I partnered really closely with the Google Fiber team down in Austin, and we did a communities and schools program. And the goal there was to bridge the conversation around how we think about opportunities in STEM education, particularly computer science education for students of color. If you take a look at some of the statistics, primarily at the undergraduate layer, students that are studying computer science while growing in the status quo did not exist before. And so by engaging with those students, and Google launched incredible partnerships with major media outlets like Disney to focus on the representation of us starting to see more black scientists, more black software engineers that are actually developing products that students are interested in, but actually see impacting their day-to-day -day life. How important is that visual part? It's so incredibly important. I think that as a society and as a community, education has evolved, but in some ways devolved to where the idea that we're used to growing up with of career days has tended to go away. And until students can continue to see that representation visually of folks that are working in jobs that are not in the traditional frameworks or archetypes that we think to be individuals in power or in deep professional careers, that's the only way we're gonna move that umbrella. So it was incredibly impactful. Wow. And so at your time at Google, did you, were you surrounded by other people of color, other black people, um, different genders, identities? Did you feel like it was a place where like, you were comfortable? So I think I had a really great opportunity of being based out of the Austin office. Okay. So we were able, because of the geography, mm -hmm. we were able to attract a lot of talent to the, to the southern region. And while the majority of groups or organizations that were featured there included HR organizations, sales teams, and a small sales engineering organization, I did feel that deep connection. Okay. One thing that Google's been able to exercise early on is the utility of employee networks. Mm -hmm. So the Black Googler network, their connection to the community, their driver of community service, begin to help us to see how 
can we connect to the local Austin Black Chamber of Commerce mm-hmm. to be a conduit to such a big name brand like Google yeah. to help us drive engagement within that local office? In the Silicon Valley, pressure is continually faced by a majority of companies that are yes. there because there is not a strong representation of people of color that are there. However, when you think about the engagement of building pipeline through internship opportunities, mm-hmm. apprentice models, et cetera, mm-hmm. you begin to see how that's driving. Okay. The goal, though, being how can we make sure that across all levels, at all epochs of an individual's career within a company, mm-hmm. you're seeing that representation. And that's where the area of development is. That's the area. When we come back in just a minute, Jarvis tells us how he went from working on diversity and inclusion at Google to joining the Snapchat team and later Nike. Stay with us. I'm Bima, and you're listening to Claim of Stories. Hey, everyone. Support for Claim of Stories comes from Portland State University's Center for Retail Leadership. If you want to prepare for a successful career, they can help by creating hands-on learning experiences focused on innovation, collaboration, and thought leadership. Visit pdx.edu backslash retail dash leadership. Hey, it's Bima. Welcome back to Claim of Stories. So it's 2015 and Jarvis has moved to LA to join Snapchat, where he's surrounded by innovative tech companies and diverse talent from all over the world. So when I got the call from the recruiters at Snapchat to explore it, it was 2015. So it was the time where like Snapchat was that app. You know what I mean? The one where photos delete. Mm. So the decision actually when I talked to them in August 2015 was one of, okay. And then once I began to see what they were working on and how they were attempting to be a forward thinking company, that is really what impressed me. Snapchat was one of the growing and hyper growth at the time technology companies, mm-hmm. but they chose not to establish a headquarters in the Silicon Valley, but rather be a pace car for what the Silicon Beach would eventually become. Right. So companies that have their headquarters around Santa Monica, Venice Beach area in Southern California. Right. And so for me, the idea of moving from Austin to LA was actually pretty exciting. So okay. growing up in Houston originally, I knew what the big city vibe, the big city environment was like. Austin certainly tempered that down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so going to LA meant an expansive opportunity to be surrounded by a different type of cultural diver- diversity that I had been exposed to previously, mm-hmm. but also would allow me to draw that connection back to while I was working in technology, being able to connect with people that are at Disney, Warner Brothers, Universal, right. some of the it's big all media companies. Yeah. And you felt like that was an advantage. How, how did that influence your work and some of the initiatives that you started to bring along? Yeah, so when I joined Snapchat, the company was about 600 people. And okay. when I left in April 2018, we had grown the company to about 3,200. Of course, seeing the initial public offering in 2017. And so a large part of what that growth and development meant was from a career perspective, it was an opportunity to move from being at Google, what was really a builder or working within the infrastructure that was already built, mm-hmm. to truly being an architect. So mm-hmm. Google had massive diversity programs at the time that I joined, and I was able to make impact in a few different areas, but not like Snapchat. Snapchat had pretty much no diversity and inclusion infrastructure built into how the company proceeded. And so I was able to come in, establish their now six employee resource groups, build out their first iteration of unconscious bias awareness training, develop mentor programs for military veterans, for women in engineering, and really be a driver to say, if we're going to do our book of business here in a space that's so different than Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. we need to be architects and forward thinking and how we're building all functions and facets of our company. Okay. Can you tell me, because you mentioned employee resource groups. I'm familiar with it now, yep. but I wasn't familiar with it when I was um, young in my career. What is the importance of an employee resource group? Yep. Um, and maybe before that, what is an employee resource group? 
Yeah, so it tends to take on different names depending on which company you're at. You'll either hear it as employee resource group, business resource group, employee network, etc. The ultimate goal of them, though, as they appear in companies is to be a commonplace or a common ground for communities that align to a specific demographic but are always open to all individuals in the company. It becomes a cultural home place to be able to talk about, highlight, and really bolster the facets of that community that are clear. So, you know, in addition to the current role that I play at Nike, I also serve as the co-chair of the Pride Network for the company, as well as on the leadership team for the Black Employee Network. And so establishing, though, that Snapchat created an incredible opportunity for us to grow and really rethink what our connection to our consumer is Mm -hmm. by bringing a group of individuals together that, while aligned on a cultural capacity, Mm -hmm. worked in roles in mechanical engineering and customer operations in HR and otherwise. Right. Okay, so you mentioned it today, and we talked about it a little earlier. Today, you're Nike, and uh, you've been here since 2018. Mm-hmm. April 2018. Okay. Um, when you were in Houston, was Nike ever on the radar as a place that you wanted to be a part of? So it's really interesting. I've seen Nike come up so many times in my experience. So when you take sports law and sports marketing coursework at, at Rice, a lot of the work that you do in case studies from a business administration perspective are about Nike. Then wrap that tenure, started my career at Deloitte. When you're working in strategy consulting at Deloitte, all of your analyst core training, so where they bring together the 200 analysts that are starting in the fall, you do a case study on Nike. And so I begin to continually see the engagement with this brand come up over at Snapchat. Got to work with our partnerships team on some of the work where Nike has historically done either lenses, filters, or run vertical video ads on the platform. So I was constantly seeing this connection to the brand, but hadn't yet explored it as a career opportunity. Okay. And so you land there, and now, um, you know, we're here today to talk about diversifying the footwear industry. Um, How would you say Nike is trying to lead that charge? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways. When we take a look at the footwear industry more broadly, and really go deep into some of the scientific elements for how and why and where the trends that we've seen, it's been really incredible actually to partner with Dwayne Edwards and the team over at Pencil to understand where have the industry trends led and how does that lead to where we are in the status quo. And so in taking that into account and into mind, part of the area that I oversee and part of my accountability at Nike is an organization that we call Diversity Talent Innovation. Mm. And the short story is what it means is when we look at the footwear industry overall, whether at the collegiate level, at the industry level, or at the leadership level, we're not seeing the representation coming out of schools to actually keep up with the demand that's necessary to actually be representative of our consumers, which means from a recruiting perspective, we have to switch from this idea of more demand-side recruiting, simply put, meaning a role comes available, a recruiter sources against it, and we ultimately hire a person, to more of a supply side, where we begin to look at where are great diverse talent pools featured in the marketplace, and how can we then find opportunities for them within companies. And so through partnerships with the WNBA at the league level Mm -hmm. to engagement with groups of community colleges out of L.A. or out of New York, we've been able to develop some innovative programs in our space that attempts to diversify who has access, engagement, and opportunity. That, paired with academic or pedagogical support from Pencil and a variety of other academic sources like Blue Ribbon Studios at Nike, we've been able to rethink how we think about Pipeline Mm -hmm. to provide opportunity and ultimately grow and develop a new group of footwear designers. That's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. So I'll ask you one of the same questions I asked Rakaya um, as my last question. Um, What advice do you have for professionals who are um, looking to advance their careers and also hoping to make an impact in their careers on diversifying leadership in this industry? 
Yeah, so when I think about work that I've done historically and some of the trends that I see either in the technology space, in the footwear industry, or even in strategy consulting, it's really three things that come to mind. Number one is the idea of expanding and owning your network. When people try to figure out how to navigate either entry into a new space that they've never worked in or how to navigate growth opportunities within their own industry, it's often unclear. And at many companies and even within this industry, the ambiguity that exists for helping people to navigate their career is not often there. And so making sure you leverage LinkedIn as a tool to understand who are people that are working in the job that I want for the future today, understand their career journey or their career track, connect with them, set up coffee chats and one-on-ones. Overall, people are deeply committed to engaging in that space and helping you grow and develop. Number two, is within the company to which you work right now, identify really strong mentors and sponsors. Mm -hmm. The difference being one person that can help guide you to understand where your career trajectory could be, the other that is actually an on-the-ground advocate for your work and helps you grow, develop, and ultimately promote to a new opportunity. Now, no, these are not roles that people hold their positions yeah. where they just fall back. Right. My mentors have extended from across all the companies I've worked at, from my undergraduate tenure, all the way through now. And that creates an opportunity where you can then be a mentor and sponsor for a lot of these big places. So where you're then in the power seat for helping to diversify the industry. And the final piece is really developing and owning your personal brand. Mm. Uh, growing up in Houston, we love our Southern adages. Yes. And so yes. my mom was always like, you know, oh, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Look at how these people navigate, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Uh, one thing that I've realized, though, in navigating my own personal career is it's really a flip of that. It's, it's deeply who knows you. And so it's who can identify you as the rational actor who can do the best work in a particular role and who is the expert in a particular space. Making sure that you've demanded that level of domain expertise helps drive your career and allows you to be incredibly impactful and successful. Jarvis is the Senior Director of Sourcing and Diversity Recruitment Programs at Nike. He's been with the company since 2018. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. Find out more about Jarvis and get access to all of our episodes on our website at claimastories.com. And while you're there, please give us a review. If you'd like to connect, follow us on Instagram at claimastories. Our show this week is produced by BJ Fergozo and Adrian Anaya with music composed by VDOT of The Creative State. Thanks also to Oilong Maui and Kate Williams. I'm Bima. And you've been listening to Clayma Stories.